I'm Andrew. I'm Kim. And today with us, we have Chris. Hello, everybody. Would you like to introduce yourself? <laughs> Perfect. It's great, isn't it? I don't know what else you want from an introduction, but yeah, I, my name's Chris. You don't, you don't have anything to say you're doing on the internet, so okay. Yeah, not really. Okay, cool. <laughs> I snagged you right out of the server room. You did. <laughs> Taking care, uh, but, of the, taking care of the interwebs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so what is it that you do for a job that I brought you here today? Uh, well, I do a, a, a myriad of things for an oil and gas company, but uh, it depends on the day usually. Um, but I make sure that electrons flow through computers most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a fancy way of saying that you make sure the power button's on. That seems to be the usual problem for most people. <laughs> <laughs> That's my problem, too. Well, for my users, not me. <laughs> oh, good. We're all on the same page as far as users go. <sighs> Isn't that the first question you ever ask? Is, the, is there power on it? <laughs> and, right. then, and then it's... And then if, is there? So turn off the power. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And then turn it back on. <laughs> yep. Then you have to reboot it three times. Yes. Yep. Because the first two times they just logged out. Yep. <laughs> oh, uh, good times. Good uh. times. <laughs> well <laughs> so what have you guys been up to this week uh not a lot over here just uh had the this is the week we did thanksgiving so if you're listening to this at a later date which you will be that's gonna be well past and i was uh, it was it went all right but i was on call so hey i was on call too hey we're all on call Woo! <laughs> I, I was kind of hoping that i would get a lot of calls on thanksgiving day like outside the the lunchtime right just to get but, paid yeah i mean it, that might have been a reason but <laughs> <laughs> i got one later at the night but personally uh i'm in the middle of a role transition so i'm trying to do my normal job and learn a new position so it's it's been entertaining Oof. you have all the extra time in the world to learn new things when you're in IT. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so going from a normal, my normal job to securities and controls with risk management is great fun. Oof, security <laughs> is so difficult. I, we brought you in for the perfect thing to yeah. try to explain. <laughs> I, well, yeah, when you said you, what the show topic was, I'm like, oh, this all the stuff I'm learning again. So... <laughs> Yeah, my week at uh, work was really slow, too. But we've had, um, again, a new version of the software came out. So we will be dealing with things from that for a while because, like, our team has to, you know, they look at the issues and then they're like, oh, yep, nope, that needs to be fixed immediately. And so they do their whatever development thing to make it happen as quickly as possible. And then they still have to do testing and whatever. And so it takes a couple of weeks each time something like that pops up to get everything together out to the end users and yada yada so i imagine that's going to be my story for a while oh yeah well then then you have triage on what problems are where what's the actual serious problem like oh it looks different and this user can't figure it out versus oh it actually doesn't do that function that needs to happen we're gonna worry about the latter <laughs> right sorry that betty doesn't understand color schemes <laughs> do you have any news for us today andrew I people are gonna get tired of my news because it's always about Tesla. 
Maybe I should ask Chris if he has news. I realize that I think I'm just a, a Tesla fanboy. and Just a little bit. I know I can't afford one, so I just, I'm always looking at it. Nothing wrong. Tesla's got a lot right? of... And it, it only got worse once I actually got the chance to ride in one. Oh. And it was just, oh, it was amazing. You tortured yourself. I mean, if you, if you saved for like five years, you could probably afford one. I, I will say their base models are actually like the same price as a new car that's non-electric but you're sacrificing a lot of the features that i want uh, so yeah. yeah but they just came out they announced we talked about it uh, a couple shows ago so i wanted to cut touch on it once it came out finally uh is they released their tesla truck <laughs> there's a lot of controversy around it um mainly about like the shape and then the window the window debacle so for those of you who don't know uh the tesla truck looks kind of like a ps1 with like lots of angles to it and it just it's it's very triangular on top yeah and like the cars that you would see in your your old video games yeah right and so everybody's like made fun of that off the bat and then when they revealed it they tried to demonstrate it's supposed to be bulletproof and the windows are supposed to not break and of course upon attempting to demonstrate this they broke the windows <laughs> so Demonstration failure. Gotta love it. Uh, so yeah, they they apparently picked the wrong hammer for that particular demonstration. <laughs> but yeah, it, it has a lot of good points to it, though, which really excite me. It has an incredible amount of towing power. Um, a lot of just cool things behind it. So like as a truck, you can actually just plug in power tools and stuff to it as you're working, which blows oh, that's my mind that that's not something more widespread. You know, with, you know, trucks being out on job sites and out in the farm, mm -hmm. be able to just hook up a, you know, drill to it. And Well, I'm sure that there's things where, like, people have a generator or something in the back of their yeah, truck. Yeah, that's true. That they can do. But most tools are now, they have battery packs and stuff on them. So yeah. it's not that you want to plug them in. It's that you need to charge your battery pack. Right. Or have a, or have a full generator in the back, in the back of your bed. Yeah. Yep, yeah, that that too. And then they also said that there's going to be an exclusive uh, battery-powered ATV that you can mm. only get if you buy the truck, and it docks itself in the back of the truck. That's kind of cool. Oh, I didn't realize that was only if you bought the truck. That's interesting. As far as I knew, that was it was only, but... I'm sure that'll it, change An electric eventually. ATV, I can't imagine, wouldn't become a thing later down the road. It seems like a, a place you would start to look at yeah. making things electric, but that's just me. Yeah, because you have a little bit more uh, real estate to put a battery than like a motorcycle. And uh -huh. But no, I'm, I'm excited for it just for the fact that since it was released, the idea of a truck that's electric is in everyone's mind now. Oh, yeah. And now all these companies like GE, Ford are all saying, yep, we're planning on doing one. Well, they've <laughs> been planning it. Some have even, you know, announced actual like body styles which look cool and um <laughs> not like vector art from your ps1 <laughs> oh come yeah. on everybody wants something from like uh, logan's run or something oh yeah well sure. i i wouldn't mind having one and i think it looks neat i don't know if it's just that i'm trying to convince myself that but i was talking to one of my users at work about it i showed her the picture and she goes man if one farmer's near me rode up to the co-op in that, I would just smack him and walk out. <laughs> and that is the issue I think they're going to have. 
Uh-huh. Like, you're not going to get farmers to buy this thing. It just ain't going to happen. No. no. Even if it has the best towing capacity and it, it's going to save them on tons of fuel and no. Well, and there's so many times that farmers have to be able to go, you know, you have to drive 50 miles out to your field and then you have to be able to tow something that's really heavy. And I'm sure all of that burns extra battery power. And so you can't necessarily guarantee that you're going to be able to get back with whatever you need to get back with. I mean, what was it? I I think they said it was like a three or 500 mile range, though. It was the largest they've had in their cars. Uh, it does have the biggest yeah. capacity for batteries, so... Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, 500 mile range. I thought the most interesting thing about it was that their versions were the number of motors it had. So like one, you could get one, two or three motors in it to give you like all wheel drive versus just rear wheel drive versus, you know, the towing capacity and all that. I thought that was really fascinating that that's how they decided to, uh, uh, what's the word? Scale. There we go. Scale up. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I wonder how much that would affect your battery usage, though, scaling between the three choices. I wondered about that, too. Like, do you have then less battery on the only having one motor, That's or good... do you have the same amount of battery? I wonder if kids can't just, like, put in more battery. They take up a lot of space. question. Well, that's my, my Tesla mm-hmm. news of the... The podcast. That should just be the new, the new, the new segment. <laughs> What's Tesla doing lately? Maybe if it becomes popular enough, I can meet uh, Elon himself. There you go. I like it. Yeah, with our hundred listeners, we will definitely be meeting Elon. Hey, he's gonna, he's gonna hook us up. <laughs> okay. When he does, I want to, I want to see pictures. Oh yeah, they'll be all over our social media if we get to meet Elon. And they will not be photoshopped. <laughs> Shh, Andrew. You don't say those things out loud. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Just don't make them obvious. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, uh, along with that, one of the, the concerns that people have, have mentioned with these is that they're basically hackable now. And some of the things that they are trying to address are some of the security concerns. So Chris is going to try to explain to us some of the more basics of what security looks like from a corporate perspective, basically. I'll at least give you a, a basic idea. So one of the things that we can talk about in, in a high level is what's called an active directory. I'm sure everyone's heard of that term. You know, it's in the AD, it's in the active directory, at least if you've ever been in a, com- in a company that utilizes one. Mm-hmm. So my, I, I've been racking my brain since you guys invited me to try and figure out how to describe it in a simple a very simple term and the best way i can think of it is it's like a secret club i like it because <laughs> think about it if you're in the club you know the secret handshake and you know who's who else is in the secret club because they also can give you the secret handshake to let you have access to the tools and the other things that are in the in the active director sure, that makes sense that was my best simple way of describing <laughs> it because if you you're invited into the group with a token uh-huh. you know a secret handshake <laughs> And then it, you use that secret handshake to have access to a file server or a print server or any other system that is listed in the directory sure. by using your secret handshake to get around. And so all of those things basically fall under what's called a domain, right? Correct. Or is that different? The domain is the, so there's a the hierarchy, it's a hierarchy system. So you have the main server in the directory is called a directory server. It lists everything that, that is in it's be it a the file servers, the directory servers, and the computers, the users, all of it is listed in there based on what type of thing it is. With that, okay. you have the idea okay. of everything has a common name. So a, a base name, a do, uh, domain name, 
and then a common suffix. So like if we're going to go global scale, it would have a .com. But because it's okay. local, we don't use a .com. We use something else. Sure. Since we're trying to keep everything local, that's why we just worry about the first part of that. That makes sense. So is that based like you name your server server one? Okay. And then is everything connected to that server? I'll have to go through that name then, server one, or how does that? So like, let's say we're, we're talking to server one to get authentication. So then we, as the user, would then pass a password to the computer. The computer then say, computer, is this the correct handshake to get access to my, to my device? Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. The, see what I'm saying? By doing that... It, it's all because you're the lowest on the totem pole. It had, the computer has to agree that you're allowed in. That's how that, that handshake, the single sign-on works. It's all done by tickets, or otherwise known as Karibos authentication. Okay. That's what the single sign-on is, which is why in an Active Directory, you can do things like where you only log into your computer once and you can have access to yeah. hundreds of different websites or services because you, you have that ticket, the, the handshake. You can actually access, you know, Yammer or I'm trying to think of other services that are available, but you can do all these other things because you have your single sign-on ticket with your secret handshake. So the computer itself, you log into the computer and you say, hi, I'm me. Here's my password. And the computer says, yep, that's you. And lets you in. And so then once you're on that computer, you're basically good to go because your computer then talks to whatever else and says, hey, I got this handshake. So we're good. And then the server and goes, yep, you're cool. Mm -hmm. You have so much you have so much access to these. This is your base level access. And that would be based on whatever the policies are that have been attached to your your username or your computers or your computer's access so the big thing that you've been basically saying but in a different way is if a computer comes onto this network that doesn't belong and they plug into the network and they try and get any of these resources they get the opposite they're basically just completely ignored or just shut out yep because they don't have the secret handshake they're shunned which which is really <laughs> which is really important in a business because you know you don't want someone just coming in and plugging in any old computer that you have mm -hmm. no idea what's on it or what it's doing. Right. And so the, the benefit of that is you can also have things set up in, say, a network setting in a company where if a computer plugs into the network that it doesn't authenticate correctly, you can bump it into a different, a totally different network system and say, I don't know who you are, so you don't get any of my services. You go into the guest network and mm -hmm. you can't even talk to me anymore. And then you can wall them off completely from getting yep. at anything. So yes. the, the way the networks are set up, they do they also use this active directory to try to figure out like who's where and and how that all functions oh yeah uh there's it, it depends on the type of network and how how sophisticated they are so a, a simple network you would do like if we're only in a single office with a single building you could do just a local a single server house all of this if you're a multi-city multi-country then you'd have then you would scale up large time and yeah. then you would utilize something like as your to do the active directory stuff because then your main server that runs everything sits up in azure and you have a tether connection to the azure cloud that done that that's your main server up there and so it oh. feeds through that to do that, that that type of a call so azure is the microsoft cloud version of 
an Active Directory domain controller computer, correct? In ish, no, it, it, well, kind of because Azure does everything. It can it it can do everything. It's kind of the oh. kitchen sink of. It's kind of like Amazon's cloud services. Oh, they're AWS. Okay. Yeah, it's Microsoft's competitor to that. Oh, okay. So Azure can do just about anything that Amazon can do with their stuff. You just have to say, this is what I want it to do. So yeah, you can do a lot of stuff with Azure more than just Active Directory things. Gotcha. I guess I've only seen it used as an Active Directory. That's what it started as, and then they moved it up from there. It's been a while since I've looked (laughs) at it, clearly. I've, I've never actually even had a chance to even see Azure on a computer before. Well, that's because Azure doesn't actually live in your computer. It lives on the Microsoft servers and you call to it to do things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you would never actually have Azure on your machine. That's like Office 365 is Azure based. So does 365, like if, you, if you're using it on your system, you're calling out to an Azure like server somewhere? Potentially. Um, uh-huh. There is ways of having a local 365 instance, but most of the law, as far as I understand, the Office 365 servers are an Azure instance. Okay. Fascinating. So the whole point of all of this is ultimately to have your company keep its stuff together mm-hmm. and only let certain people in. But right. You were saying that there's ways to apply different pieces to different logins or computers. Yes. So it, you're talking about group policy, is that correct? Well, there's group, there's, so each time you build a new machine, um, you can group them into, there's user groups and computer groups, and you can then put policies on those user groups and the computer groups independently. So that the what you're calling there as policies, then those are policies that you base on users or machine. So you can say, um, let's say, Kim, you are in a, we'll say you're a, an engineer or a scientist. Those type of people need access to local administrative rights, but they don't need access to certain tools. Well, we could then grant you access to local admin rights, but ban you from, say, getting to the registry entry to regedit. Okay. So we could grant you admin rights, but then block you from regedit. So from the user perspective, sometimes if there's something on your computer that you can't do, it might be blocked because you mm -hmm. shouldn't have those rights to do those things. Correct. And it could be as fine, it could be as small as just being able to access the favorites in your Internet Explorer. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's... There's some things that you can get down to in group policies that you're like, like even just the power preferences. I knew group policy was really powerful because I've worked with both group policy and AD a fair amount myself, but I've always stopped there. <laughs> yeah. Um, when I, my last job before I moved over to where I am currently, I was the active, I was the policy writer and there are, you Oof. can get into the weeds if you start writing some policies. There are. Um, name something in windows that you want to manage and control yeah. you can manage it in a policy um down to even how it, the default location of word mm-hmm. it's bananas and i have seen so many times when smaller companies have gotten into their group policy and tried to manage the default location of word or something silly and end up like breaking printers or oh yeah Making it so you can't get to your network drives or, you know, something super important that I don't know how they did it. But in my current role where I'm just like, I'm supporting the software. 
that mm-hmm. you've purchased from us. I I can't help you with your group policy. I'm sorry. It's broken. <laughs> I don't know what you did. The biggest problem I always found when I was doing uh, tech support in my previous work, again, back in my past when I was doing call-in support, uh, was there was multiple policies that would override each other. Mm-hmm. And then you're wondering, well, what order did the policies come in? Yes. Because then it was the last one in wins. I remember that. And that, that always screwed me over. And- <laughs> yeah. So it, it was one of those things where you'd find one policy that was like a hundred and you know, a couple hundred changes. And then you'd find one that was a single change. And you'd find another one that was a single change. And then you'd find another hundred based policy. And you'd be like, oh, somebody didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> <laughs> policies can be fun and they can be very daunting when you're trying to figure out what, what broke where. Luckily, when, luckily, though, there's tools you can run on the client level, the group policy results, mm-hmm. and it tells you how they came in. Oh, okay. That's it. I yeah. might ask you about those off air. <laughs> I might recommend some of those. Uh, he has a, a by-minute charge fee. <laughs> <laughs> and the nice thing is, is that's one of those tools that no matter what a group policy company, no matter what company does any company that's one of those tools they can't take away from a user because that's troubleshooting tools that the company would need to run to find out why it broke something broke on a customer or a user's level so it's it's always fun to see if you want to know what policies are on your machine that's a tool you could run and actually find out what policies are on your machine so can you kind of explain a little bit how ad and group policy interact and work with each other well they're they're hand in hand so once you have your group policy set up or your active directory set up um because like i said they're hierarchy so you have your tree uh, which is your top level service your server and then it's just like a file structure like if you're in your my computer my documents that's your active directory tree structure and then your policies go on top of each one of those folders so if you have different user groups and you have people in those groups you apply a policy to that group or the same thing goes with computers that's how the policies in the in active directory interact together so it's an easy way to create a set of group policies objects that are applied to only certain OUs within your Active Directory yes. structure. So if you have an office that you want X settings applied to, and in that office, you don't want some employees to have those, you just have to segment them right. out like that. Yep, that's exactly right. And then that way, if you're going down, and then if you try, if you want to remove that policy, all you have to do is take, or if you want that restriction rev- revoked off of those that those users, that policy could just be removed either with a script or by hand. For example, if you have a policy in place says that if they haven't updated their computer, they're not their antivirus isn't current. You could say they don't have outside access to the internet until their antivirus is within 10 days of current. That's a policy. Sure. And a smart so, one considering. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, with how bad with, with how bad ransomwares are anymore and oh things of that nature yeah it's a great policy and one that is not hard to implement yeah, because then more. once you start getting into um security side of like if somebody does get into your system and has somebody's password username what have you mm-hmm. some of those group policy pieces can actually help too because if they've stolen the computer and gone offline like that 10 day thing like after 10 days they haven't updated because they haven't connected back to whatever mm-hmm. server that they needed to necessarily yeah and there's ways to even say if a machine's been offline for 
say 90 days the that machine is now stale and it needs to be kicked out of the domain oh interesting. so it you so that machine now has to be either re-imaged or you have to do a certain re-authentication of the that machine to the directory in order to get it back online which let's be honest if a machine's been offline for 90 days you probably need a new machine <laughs> uh, yeah i mean it depends on on your use case because let's say a person goes on vacation and then he has to go out to a field location like in for my in my case that there's lots of reasons why a user may not have a machine on the network for 90 days no i've i've always like i said I, i've touched ad and i've touched gp and um i used to write a little bit of group policy right out of college i got hired onto a job that i was a fresh green it guy at a help desk level and my boss was like hey i want you to help me get a solution to our tape backup system and write some uh, group policy and manage these mm-hmm. servers. And I was like, oh, so I got, sure. to, I got to learn a little bit about that. Um, but then the consequences when you move into a large corporation, which is kind of natural progression, they really mm-hmm. keep those kind of jobs segmented off, which they should. Mm-hmm. So I haven't really touched a lot right. of AD. Yeah, it's I'll, I, I'll, with my new role, I'll be learning the, the large corporate layer a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I when I was doing all the policy writing, I was doing it for a four di- a four building school district, uh, and sure. it, I had to write policies, you know, sweeping policies for the four buildings, and then more targeted policies for individual school buildings. Yeah. So it was, yeah, I wrote a lot of policies, and well, and school I districts out, are a whole nother bag of worms that, ugh. Yeah. So I had, it was fun to write policies though for those, because it was like, these are the teacher policies. These are the administrator's policies. These are the, you know, I, so I had to have policies for every layer of, of, you know, K through three, K four through six. And uh, yeah, because we had policies for every level to make sure that they didn't do things they shouldn't for each age group. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was great fun. And then I had to, and then, at that when i was doing the schools i was coming in after four different you know people that thought they were doing it the right way by doing you know the the 150 changes in each policy as we have changed over multiple years of different server versions and Ooh. no one no one went back and fixed the server ch- or the changes they just wrote a new policy to fix it ah uh. <laughs> yeah those yeah. are fun. So uh, it was a lot of cleanup, and I got really good at finding policies. So is there <laughs> is there a downside to having, uh, say, too many policies? Does that cause a lot of slowness uh, to the end so, user? Yeah, it will. The more policies you have, the slower your login will be. So it's a toss-up between writing lots of little changes or writing one big one. Sure. The nice thing is... the. Active Directory and Group Policy does uh, Delta changes after the after the first login. So interesting. That's the nice thing about Active Directory and Group Policies is once the user's logged in, it doesn't do that large policy sweep every time the user logs in. It only looks for Delta changes after that. Okay. For those that don't know what Delta changes are, that means any additional changes after the major that first install. Okay. So that's why, even though I have a nice, fast computer with a solid-state hard drive for my work machine, it takes way too long to log in. Yep. (laughs) 
that makes a lot yeah. of sense. Mm -hmm. Especially if they're making large changes every couple of weeks to your group policies, that'll, mm -hmm. that'll do that. The other thing that, that could help speed that up is there's a couple of tools that are built into Windows to refresh your group policies in the middle of your session. Mm -hmm. um, those are, I'm sure you guys know those, where you can force the policy to, to refresh during your session before you log in or log out. Well, I have the, yep. the added complexity. They have uh, McAfee. It's I'm sorry. like it is <laughs> encrypted hard drive. And so you have to like have a separate login just to get to the point where you can even enter a username and password in the McAfee security system. And then once you get past that, then it starts the Windows authentication. So, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. My particular instance, there's probably a good two Nah, maybe not two minutes, a minute for sure of login, login, and then wait for all the group policy things to apply and then Ooh. wait for whatever it is that they want to automatically launch to go. But yet I have admin rights and can install things on my computer. So, mm -hmm. uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a rough thing when you have to deal with all that layers of, in, of security, but they have it that way for a reason. Right. I mean, they, obviously, they think they, they need that much security on your stuff. Well, and there's a reason that they say you should shut your computer down when you go home. And then there's a reason that people just don't, because it takes forever. If you have a slow computer, forget it. Like, it takes you 10 oh, minutes yeah. just to boot your computer. But anyway, that's minor. That's me just ranting. <laughs> but there's been so many times that I've encountered people who are like, I don't understand why I have to change my password every 60 days. Well, there, there's actually some pushback on that. When it comes to... There is now. Yeah, with a lot of places that they say that the 60-day change is, or the 90-day change is actually a deterrent, is bad for companies. Because mm -hmm. people end up doing the, you know, this is my password one, this is my password two, this is my password three type words where they're just in innumerable. But yeah, the, the password thing has been fascinating for me for a while because there's just so many pieces of it that like well don't write your passwords down but you have to remember them but use a password manager but then password manager can be hacked or you forget the password manager password and it's just like all of these things that we just make it far too complicated and people just go mm -hmm. screw it i'm just gonna reset my password every time <laughs> yeah there's definitely that that school of thought as well but anyway yeah we kind of went on a tangent <laughs> just, a little bit. just a little besides azure do you see group policy and AD sticking around for the, the long term? Is it, I mean, I can't think of anything in my mind that would be anything better. Yeah, I don't think they, I don't, honestly, I don't think it, uh, there's anything newer coming down the pipe for, for to replace it. It's it's kind of the only the only dog in its hunt, really, for doing what it does. They, they may change the, the system on, as far as now that it, a lot of people are going with it cloud-based, you know, putting it in Azure. Sure. Uh, but as as far as the structuring of it, I don't think it's ever going to change. They might change the si single sign-in in a way, so that way when like like Microsoft has changed the way you log into your Windows 10 machine, so it calls home because like everybody has you know that Microsoft Live account when they log into their Windows 10 machine now instead of a local account, you have a Microsoft account. Sure. So that might be the thing that everyone changes to, where you don't log into a local machine anymore. You log into your Azure account if you have a, a company-based machine. But 
it's still you're still logging into a, an Active Directory type account. It's just a different location for where that lives, and most people don't care. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as far as the front end user, they you know they're not going to see anything different. Us at the back end, it's just where the database is living. Instead of being in a, a server in your building, it'll be a server in a server farm somewhere. That's the only thing I see really changing yeah. in the next. To 20 years and even then i think we'll see the master database living in a server farm and then each building that you know you live in that you have customers in or your users in you'll have a subsection of that server a read-only version of it living in your building a smaller section of that server oh sure which will help speed up logins. Yeah, because that's the other, we won't go there right now, but the other piece of distance logging in is that you have to depend upon the internet speeds of wherever you mm -hmm. happen to be, and sometimes that can slow things down too. Location options in the it built into Active Directory, which is really cool because then you can have uh, the primary server somewhere, which Azure makes the, per is the, you know, that's the new hotness is you put your primary server in Azure, and then you have a replicated server in your building, which does the the workhorse work, and any changes are then copied down to it. So, and those can be run on a fifteen minute, hourly, overnight, whatever basis. Yeah, whatever the whatever you guys set up, whatever the, the company decides is a adequate changeover. I've seen them as short as five minutes for changes. <laughs> It's a lot of uh, so updates. you figure five minutes. That's a pretty small window. Well, it, but it depends on what the update level is. Sure. So if you're only changing, you know, user data every five minutes, that's password data. That's that makes sense. You know, it all depends on what level of update you're you're calling because you can go as fine detail. Uh, that's like I said. There's a lot of information that Active Directory contains: machine level data, user level data. You know that. Because Active Directory contains all, I mean, you could stuff a lot of information in there, not just your username and password, because you can have phone numbers and email addresses and everything in Outlook, and because Outlook. that all ties in too. It makes it, you can, uh, it integrates well with Exchange because they're all tied together. Microsoft made it really well, a really interesting and uh, tightly knit system. Sure. I mean, they've had decades to play with it, so. Yeah, it makes it tough to find anyone that's better. And especially now that they're allowing a lot of this stuff to run on uh, Linux and Unix backends. Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I think it was really smart on their their part to expand it and make it more accessible to the, the wider public in that way. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I thought it was pretty impressive when I got a my Linux servers and my Linux uh, workstations to join a active directory. Well. It blew my mind the first time it happened. <laughs> <laughs> I think that covers probably way more than our listeners needed to know but <laughs> that's that's how most of our shows go though it's true it's very true is there anything that you would like to kind of plug or that you do or you're happy with that you want to share <laughs> or unhappy with uh, that you still want to share no i i would say just uh if you guys want to hear more from me um i'm active over on twitter at at Chris N and on the Facebook at uh, at Badlands D and D, uh, so BadlandsDnd.com. If you want to come see what I do for the uh, greater uh, Montana area for all the Badland things or all the D and D tabletop adventures that I run, very cool, awesome. And for us, you can find us on anywhere you see your podcasts. Uh, please rate and review us and leave a comment. Share with us as well if you have a question. Send an email over to our ticket line at servicedeskpodcast at gmail.com. 
and maybe in a future show we can try and answer it for you. And uh, if you happen to have a little extra money, because we all do around Christmas, uh, or are just feeling generous and like us, you can go to patreon.com forward slash service desk podcast and uh, look up some of the, the cool little perks that we have over there. I'm Andrew. I'm Kim. And I'm Chris. And, and we, we are, are your, your techie, techie friends. friends.